Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Thank you. Well, Mark, welcome again to another episode of Informed Dissent, uh, available on all podcast outlets, including Apple Podcasts. Great to be with you again. Hello. This is a scientific reawakening. This country has been wrecked by a virus that's been here for two years. And the doctors who stand in front of you early on in the pandemic used all their clinical skills and knowledge and compassionately treated each and every high-risk patient to the best of their ability to prevent two bad outcomes hospitalization and death. Today we bring back, I think for the third time, maybe fourth, I'm losing track, one of our favorite guests, and that's Dr. Peter McCullough, who arguably is one of the leading COVID experts in the country and maybe the world. Uh, So Peter, welcome back to Informed Dissent. Thanks again for joining us. Jeff, Mark, great to join you again. So there's been a lot going on in the COVID world. Um, uh, Senator Ron Johnson just had a a panel group, uh, and I know you participated with that. And uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. had a stop the mandate rally in Washington, D.C. just a few few days ago. I watched most of it, and uh, I think there was something like 20 or 30,000 people that showed up. Uh, So tell us about your experience, and and thank you for being on the front lines of fighting for liberty. I tell you, the context of this being the uh, Stop the Mandates D.C. rally was tremendous. Thousands of people walked from the Washington Monument to the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and uh, it was electric. The crowd really was seeking truth. Uh, They wanted to know what was going on with pandemic response. They heard from dozens of physicians, scientific leaders, nurses, uh, firefighters, various employment groups, religious groups. Uh, It was tremendous. You know, I gave just a a five-minute speech, and I told them, that listen, we have three circles. We have a circle of medical freedom that's linked to a circle of social freedom, to a circle of uh, economic freedom, and we cannot let the circle of medical freedom be touched, let alone fractured, because when one circle breaks, they all break, and our freedoms begin to dissolve, uh, and that our medical freedom, really our own principle, our own autonomy, is the only thing we really have. Medical freedom is linked to social and economic freedom. If we allow the circle of medical freedom to even be touched, let alone be broken, all the circles fracture. They all do, and it crumbles. The writing is on the wall, and the determination to preserve medical freedom is in your hands. It's in your personal hands. It can't be any more clear. This moment cannot be more decisive. So join me and join these heroic doctors and nurses and others in helping bring America home. Thank you. Tucker Carlson showed that on his uh, on his show, and it just went viral all over uh, Twitter and the internet. Dr. McCullough, are we making progress across the country with uh, with pushing early treatment on patients? The the um, the feeling among uh, people in the crowd, and <laughs> it was really clear in the Senate hearings, uh, it was palpable that early treatment uh, has always had a role in the treatment of COVID nineteen, and the shortcoming is that our government agencies 
never provided a full-throated endorsement of early treatment, and the health systems never did. In fact, there were impediments from the very beginning to deliver high-quality treatment to patients with COVID-19. Review for us, if you would, Dr. McCullough, a patient who tests positive and, and is beginning to have symptoms of COVID. What's the first thing they should do? First thing they should do is uh, self-isolate at home. Many times they can't uh, isolate away from other family members. So we know about 85% of the spread occurs within the, within the home. Get the air, windows open, air circulating in the home. We want to reduce the self-inoculation. And then we actually start nasal washes. Nasal washes would dilute povidone iodine or dilute hydrogen peroxide over the sink, squirt it up in the nose, sniff it back, spit it out the mouth, uh, do it twice on each side, gargle with the rest. And uh, that constitutes the base of treatment. We have a home treatment kit, which every person should have, and it includes uh, either peroxide or the 10% povidone iodine. Uh, And then orally, uh, zinc, 50 milligrams, vitamin D, 5,000 international units, boosted to 20,000 units a day with active treatment, vitamin C, 3,000 milligrams a day, and then quercetin, 500 milligrams twice a day. And we add an over-the-counter antihistamine, antacid, famotidine, or pepsid, but at four times the standard dose, 80 milligrams a day. That home treatment kit, in my experience now, Jeff, I handle the vast majority of Omicron patients with that approach. I simply don't need to reach for the prescription drugs anymore. So even without prescription drugs, and some of the some of the drugs, of course, are controversial, although they need not be, and we're talking about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, even without those, we can effectively treat patients with early treatment with some of these sequenced over-the-counter drug protocols. I would agree with that. Now, uh, for high-risk seniors with Omicron, I've had a couple high-risk seniors susceptible that have uh, gotten in trouble, and I've used sotirivimab, which is a GSK monoclonal antibody, 500 milligrams infusion over an hour. It can be used actually down to age 12. It is associated with an 85% reduction in hospitalization and death in randomized trials, safe and effective. People need to demand sotirivimab. That's the remaining monoclonal antibody that will have coverage against Omicron. We just heard that um, the FDA removed the emergency use authorization for Regeneron. Do you think that was appropriate? There were modeling studies done. uh, The paper was by Pulliam and colleagues out of South Africa. Modeling studies that suggested Regeneron and the Lilly product, which is a combination of urticimab and bamlanivimab, just simply wouldn't cover Omicron. Uh, but we had such a big supply, and it was only based on modeling studies. Many are saying that that wasn't a wise move. Uh, uh, Surgeon General of Florida, Joe Ladapo, has been very vocal about that with Ron DeSantis. You know, I, the way I look at it is uh, GSK, sotirivimab, uh, looks like a work by modeling. It's got great clinical trial results. It was EUA approved in May of 2021. We've had seven months to get ready for this and have the supply chain transparently shown to America on where these monoclonal antibodies are. That's where the frustration is. I told Sean Hannity uh, this last week, you know, we're at the Battle of the Bulge with Omicron. We got some high-risk seniors. We're out of ammo and the federal government is accountable. Peter, update the audience. What role does the COVID vaccine now play uh, overall? At this point in time, because the COVID vaccines had very poor coverage on Delta, in a paper by Young Zhu and colleagues, only 20% vaccine efficacy against Delta. Current reports out of Denmark, Hansen and colleagues, plus the UK public health report, suggest zero coverage on Omicron. And uh, despite some papers from uh, the CDC 
regarding hospitalizations, which I don't think are valid, by the way. I think uh, in the absence of randomization, uh, the hospitalizations are not adjudicated. Uh, there's asymmetric testing. There's all kinds of biases that uh, could ultimately lead one to, to a conclusion that the vaccines are doing something. Uh, in the absence of randomized trials now with Omicron, uh, I think the vaccines don't have any role at all. Our CDC tells us we have 98% Omicron. It looks like that is our read in clinical practice. The vaccine mandates can be dropped. Uh, the current vaccines can be taken off the market for a deep dive in safety. Now, the vaccine manufacturers are racing for an Omicron-specific uh, vaccine. Uh, and it's, it's been forecasted in March. But looking at our curves, we're nearly down off of our very tall but narrow Omicron outbreak curve. I think the vaccine manufacturers are going to be too late on this one. And uh, where do we stand now on Novavax? Novavax has been EUA approved in Europe and Australia. That's the antigen-based vaccine, five micrograms of purified spike protein. It comes actually out of a, a moth model. That's how it's produced in insects and moths in a matrix. Uh, and it has been uh, approved in those uh, countries, but we have no randomized trial data against either Delta or Omicron. And the fear here, again, is we'd be vaccinating people against, uh, you know, with a product that's obsolete, that was designed against strains that are now extinct. How about the newer, um, I think it's the Pfizer product, Paxlovid. Uh, how's that turning out? The data on Paxlovid, which is a combination of nelfenpiravir, it's a novel chymase-like 3 inhibitor plus ritonavir, it's an older um, HIV drug. Uh, you have to take uh, three tablets twice a day of that product, Paxlovid, but it looks good. Over 80% reductions in hospitalizations and deaths in the clinical trial. It's been distributed to the pharmacies here in Dallas. I got word of that. But I have to tell you, Jeff, the most interesting thing, I tried to prescribe it for a patient today, and the patient declined it and said she doesn't trust Pfizer. And so what's happened is patients have actually lost their trust in the pharmaceutical companies. And now, um, you know, I'm not seeing it not seem used yet. I think all the pharmaceutical companies and the vaccine companies are really under fire right now for some of their data that they put out that is deceiving at best. Um, I listened to Bobby Kennedy's speech at the Stop the Mandates rally, and, and he highlighted that uh, these studies that brought the Pfizer vaccine to market uh, really need close scrutiny, that in, that in fact they weren't quite as advertised. It's true. Bobby Kennedy's speech was uh, really impassioned. He brought out the fact that in the entire Pfizer clinical program, uh, in the FDA briefing booklets, there are 21 deaths with Pfizer and 17 deaths with placebo. And, uh, you know, there was never a signal that the vaccines were going to reduce mortality in the randomized trials. And we haven't seen that in clinical practice. We've seen some, I think, heavily biased studies, again, not knowing why people got COVID tests and what they really died of. Uh, but to this day, there's no convincing data to suggest, certainly now with Delta or Omicron, that the, the vaccines would save lives. It looks like they're not doing it. We keep hearing over and over on mainstream media that uh, the vast majority of deaths in hospitals are with unvaccinated people. Is, is that an accurate statistic? In the U.S. Senate hearings, Pierre Corey reviewed that, and he indicated the hospitals don't have reliable records on who's been vaccinated and who's been not, unless they were actually vaccinated in that facility. So the default goes to unvaccinated uh, so it, uh, almost certainly 
uh, people vaccinated at CVS or Walgreens are being counted as unvaccinated according to Corey's testimony. So I don't think any of those claims are valid. Yeah, it's very it's very unfortunate that uh, we have statistics thrown at the American people that seem to be designed to maintain a certain uh, level of fear. This so-called mass delusional psychosis that Dr. McDonald talks about, of course, in his book, The United States of Fear. Uh, Mark, thoughts on that? I believe, and I'm actually somewhat optimistic right now, that as Dr. McCullough was saying, the the evidence is becoming so clear, even to regular non-doctor Americans, that we've been lied to and have been um, propagandized for so long that the gap between what we're being told and what we're actually witnessing is growing. And it's growing at such a rapid rate that in my own practice, I have actually seen patients who used to be supportive of two, three, four shots, double mass, uh, quarantining, you know, asymptomatic testing, uh, and, and they're starting to say, no, uh, this doesn't make sense. I got sick. I recovered. I'm fine. Um, I think we need to move on. So I think finally, I know it's two years too late, but I think finally the mindset, the psychology is catching up with the data, which you know Dr. McCall has been telling us about for nearly two years. It just took a really, really long time. Yeah, no doubt about that. You know, we, we hear that Omicron is milder. And I think in general, from my clinical experience, that's the case. The question is, is it milder because there's simply a lot more people that have either recovered from Delta or some other uh, variety of uh, COVID, or they have some level of vaccine immunity. Is that why Omicron is milder or in its native state with somebody that neither has a vaccine nor uh, natural immunity? Uh, is it milder in those folks as well? I have enough experience now clinically, Jeff. I think the answer is it's milder in everybody, but I do uh, agree with you that those who are COVID recovered have the easiest time. It could be honestly an hour or two of some symptoms or a day, very mild, no intervention needed. Vaccinated are doing very well with Omicron and having very mild symptoms. And the unvaccinated, truly susceptible individuals can have a, a syndrome that would require treatment. In my practice right now, those who have actually required some treatment, either monoclonal antibodies or oral drugs that I'd have to prescribe, are those uh, unvaccinated getting Omicron. You know, the last time you came on our, our show, uh, we you, you had this expression, one and done, that once somebody recovers from uh, COVID, pretty much they could expect uh, long-lasting immunity. And now we've seen that Omicron can break through that immunity. What are you expecting to see in those patients that have now recovered from Omicron moving forward? Yeah, it was just like I was asking for it, right? I went on Joe Rogan on December 8th, and I said, it's one and done. You can't get COVID a second time. And sure enough, December 10th, the news broke uh, in a communique indicating that Omicron clearly could break through natural immunity. And that's just how it goes. Science is humbling. I went on national TV uh, basically that night and told America Omicron has broken through natural immunity, and it did. Um, what we know from a paper by, um, by Kahn and colleagues that um, <coughs> the immunity to Omicron that's developing, at least from the uh, serology studies, is very robust. So uh, it looks like one cannot get Omicron again. But there also appears to be back immunity against Delta, which is quite fortunate uh, because Delta was a far more uh, virulent syndrome and uh, we know now that Delta basically has gone away. The CDLCast system is quite good at predicting 
15 of what we have. They're estimating now 98% of what we have is Omicron. Uh, we are, are watching an Omicron subvariant, which is on the move, BA2 right now. Remember, as mass vaccination continues, it continues to promote more and more variants that become hyperdominant variants. Another reason why if we drop the vaccine program, uh, hopefully we could, we could stop this uh, really storyline of one mutation after another. So just as physicians rightfully so have been criticized in the past for overusing antibiotics, creating resistant strains of bacteria, is it the same concept that if we mass vaccinate in the middle of a pandemic, we're putting immunologic pressure on this virus to mutate and create more variants? That, that's exactly what happened, is happening. It's considered a non-sterilizing uh, ecological pressure. And so it's been shown now in a paper by Acorsi and colleagues in JAMA in the last few weeks, uh, those with either Delta or Omicron, first shot, second shot, third shot, they have equal viral loads in the nose compared to those who are unvaccinated. So the vaccines are basically not eradicating the virus out of the nose and that therefore uh, the, the mutations continue as the virus replicates in the nose. Uh, Omicron replicates 70 times faster than Delta, as shown by Hong Kong University. Wow. And is it still correct uh, to say that people that have no symptoms, healthy people that have no symptoms, uh, have a very low risk of spreading this illness to other people? That's true. Asymptomatic spread has essentially been uh, debunked. Now, it's a model that you know 30 to 50% of spread is occurring asymptomatically. We know that's not the case. Schools are open. Uh, people are in congregate settings. Uh, the, you know, we went through entire sports seasons that weren't major outbreaks. As long as people don't have symptoms, uh, when they go into congregate settings, they're not going to spread the virus. Is there any reason to be vaccinating our children? At this point in time, I testified on the Senate floor in the Kennedy Caucus building under no circumstances, Jeff, under no circumstances. We have 21,000 cases of, of myocarditis or heart injury in children now. Uh, the data are pouring in. There are fatal cases. In the room, there was a father whose son died of uh, vaccine-induced myocarditis. There is uh, the father of a boy here in this room who's died of myocarditis. One death is too many. One one, we have 21,000 cases of myocarditis and climbing in the United States that the CDC has verified. One was too many. Under no circumstances, under any circumstances, should a young person ever receive one of these vaccines, let alone ever be pressured to receive a vaccine, let alone ever be mandated to take a vaccine. This is crystal clear. The FDA agrees. I said one case is too many under no circumstances should a child receive a COVID-19 vaccine. Well, why, why are we so heavily criticized when we say that? I'm, I'm, called, I'm called a quack. Uh, people uh, write the medical board to have my license taken away when I say under no circumstances should a child be vaccinated against an illness that they're not at risk with an investigational uh, experimental vaccine that has no long-term safety studies and have demonstrated injury in this age group. But, I, but I'm called a quack when I, when I make that statement. You're supported by the FDA warnings. The FDA warnings are clear. I made it clear to America in Senate testimony that everybody agrees here. This is unequivocal. There's over 200 
peer-reviewed publications on myocarditis now coming out from leading institutions, including some in the major uh, journals this week, Jeff. And the FDA warns against the products in younger persons because of myocarditis. Work by myself and Jessica Rose, cardiology. The risk extends up to age 50 in men. About 90% of the cases are in men, but up to age 50. So I, I hear there are medical boards that are going after physicians for either using ivermectin or promoting or, or um, not recommending vaccines in kids and so forth. Have you had the opportunity to testify on behalf of any physicians that are being inappropriately investigated by the medical boards across the country? Uh, I'm under some privileged communications on a case uh, that was... Uh, one by a physician here in Texas. But I have to tell you, I want the medical board to come talk to me about this. I want this. I want an open review with the Texas medical board or any medical board that has the courage to face me. And we will go over the data in a very public manner. And Wonderful. I can tell you, I can tell you, Jeff, it's not going to be pretty for those people on the medical board. <laughs> well, that's that's wonderful. Listen, we, we want to be respectful of your time. But finally, you know, Mark and I are quite humbled at the number of uh, downloads we're getting on our little podcast. And uh, apparently we are heard all over the world. So for those liberty loving uh, folks that that don't want to live their life in fear, what's your message to them across the world? I tell them, read The United States of Fear by Dr. Mark McDonald. I've read the book myself. <laughs> it's a wonderful read on the airplane, Mark. And I tell you, you nailed it. You nailed it. This is an epidemic of fear. The, the problem isn't the virus anymore. I was on Laura Ingram last night. I told America, I think the emergency phase of this is over with. It's over with. We can return to normal life. We can treat the remaining high-risk people that need treatment with early treatment and go back to all full operations. The only thing that's stopping us now is fear. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you again for joining us on Informed Dissent, and uh, God bless you for your activism and your courage to be on the front lines in this battle. Okay, thank you. We have only heard a two-pronged strategy. One is to stay in lockdown, wear masks, social distancing, and wait for a vaccine. That's what we've heard the entire time. Now, there's not a single person here that is against the broad use of vaccines as we use them in our clinical practice, myself included. But when the vaccines were in development, we knew it was a gamble. I published that it was a gamble. It was a gamble of a lifetime, if not a gamble of all time for humanity. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.